Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. is the Tom Hartman Program. What's it going to take to break Trump's followers' death cult? Detaining migrant children in hotels. The torture of children continues. And they think that the, you know, the whole QAnon conspiracy thing is like, the Democrats are satanic, pedophile, blood-drinking, Satan worshipers. But who's locking up the kids and selling them off into the private marketplace? It's the Trump administration. But to start out, and my question to you essentially is, you know, what's it going to take to wake up or defeat the members of the Trump death cult? I mean, even the professional war criminals, George W. Bush, who told his biographer back in 1999, Mickey Herskowitz, before he was even officially running for president, said, if I ever get to become president, I'm going to have a war. I'm not going to have a short war. My daddy's war only lasted three days in Iraq. I'm going to have a real war and get myself reelected so I can then privatize Social Security. I mean, I've played the tape a million times for you of Cindy Sheehan quoting Mickey Herskowitz, but his biographer, the guy that his parents, George Sr. and Barbara, hired to ghostwrite a charge to keep, which was George W. Bush's so-called autobiography that came out in 2000. And George just told him that. I'm going to have a war. That's that's how you get reelected. Ronnie Reagan showed us how to do that with Grenada. My daddy did that with Iraq. He didn't get reelected, though, because his war only lasted three days. I'm going to have myself a war. Well, even that guy, George W. Bush, is not willing to be on the same platform with Donald Trump. And then you've got Dick Cheney, the guy who illegally, you know, he and John Yoo and Jay Bybee, got together along with a few other Cretans and, and said, hey, let's, uh, let's, let's figure out a way to torture people. Let's, let's violate the UN Convention on Torture. Let's, let's do stuff that we could be charged but, you know, under the Nuremberg Tribunals with. We'll get away with it. Don't worry. We've got some good Republican judges. Let's start a private prison, an illegal prison, in a third country so that it won't be subject to the rule of law in the United States. We'll call it Guantanamo or Gitmo. Even that guy, that war criminal, Dick Cheney, he's not willing to show up on the same stage with Donald Trump or Mike Pence or any of these other grifters. I mean, it's pretty bad when war criminals think that you are too distasteful to be around. We should probably be grateful, though, to Donald Trump for gutting the Republican Party. He's exposed a 40-year-long con job, first perpetrated by Ronald Reagan. I was reading uh, parts of a biography of Richard Nixon over the weekend, and it talked about how actually enthusiastic he was about expanding long-term unemployment. Well, he thought it would make him more popular. He was having to deal with with a recession at the time. He, he at first objected to the Environmental Protection Agency. In fact, I believe he vetoed the first effort at legislation, uh, legislation to bring it about. But, but later he, he enthusiastically adopted it. He expanded the size of the regulatory state. Nixon at least thought that government could do something. Reagan? No. No. Government, government does nothing but get in the way of billionaires and big corporations. It's real simple. And, you know, Trump has pointed that out. 
So now you've got all these Republicans sitting around going, you know, we can't even, if we're going to start a new party, we can't even call it the, the GOP. We're going to have to call it something else. Let's go back to the Whigs. Except people will think that that's, you know, like a, a new political party for bald people or something. I don't, I don't know. But basically, Trump's Republican Party has become a death cult. And his own supporters are enthusiastically supporting his efforts to make America more brutal, more crude, and frankly, more deadly. And the final proof of this came this week when we learned that while only 10% of Democrats say that, you know, 177,000 dead Americans is an acceptable number, and it's shocking that 10% would, but you know, basically with these surveys, you always find, you know, this small margin, this 10, 12% of people who, you know, either didn't understand the question or were just trying to throw a monkey wrench or were just like hopelessly stupid or whatever it may be. So 10% of Democrats say, yeah, 177,000 dead. That's okay with me. 90% of Democrats said, what? That's terrible. But on the Republican side, 57%, more than half of Republicans say it's okay that 177,000 Americans are dead. And meanwhile, we're getting reports literally from all over the country that outbreaks of COVID are happening in the social circles of people who have returned from the Sturgis bike rally where a quarter million Trump supporting bikers got together and breathed all over each other for a week. So the question most Americans want answered, and I think that this is a legitimate question to be asking, is what's it going to take to defeat the members of Trump's death cult? I mean, Jim Jones led a death cult, and in the end, he and his cult members all died together. And we're hearing stories, actually, from hospitals time and time again. I mean, very, very rarely do these have names attached to them because of confidentiality laws and things like that. But, uh, you know, I can tell you, if you have any family members who work in big hospitals, they will tell you that there is a startling number of people who come in with COVID going, oh my God, I'm a Republican. I listened to Trump. I thought this was just going to be the flu. And here I am in this hospital bed looking at the possibility of being dead within the next 14 days. And they're scared to death. David Koresh took his followers with him. Hitler damn near did. And Tojo too. So history doesn't give us any really clear guidelines, but it is kind of rife with warnings. Meanwhile, today, the Republican National Convention, the, the RNCC, kicked off. There will be no new uh, Republican policy statements, no new platform, because that was just too much work. You know, Donald Trump doesn't do work. They don't do the serious stuff of governing. Uh, they haven't had caucuses. They haven't had committees. They haven't, you know, yeah, that's, that stuff is for losers. We're just going to hire a guy from Celebrity Apprentice and have him put on a show. Because it's really just about the show, right? The Trump administration was never about governing the country. They were always just about the reality show. That's all they do. It's why Donald Trump doesn't show up for meetings or read anything. He just play, you know, he watches Fox News seven, eight hours a day, plays golf a couple hours a day, and tweets for a few hours a day. That's it. So the convention has started. I'm curious your thoughts on that. And of course, Louis DeJoy, the Postmaster General, is before Congress. And he is saying, well, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to slop the mail. The fact that the mail slowed down right after I became Postmaster General is just a coincidence. Right. I suspect that in this hearing, the the subject of the privatization of the post office will come up. It never once came up during the Senate hearings. And that should be the real issue. But what I'm hearing Republicans yelling and screaming about is, oh my God, there are dead people on the voting rolls. Yes, there are. And oh my God, dead people might get a ballot in the mail. Yeah, they might. They're not going to vote it, though. That's a felony. That's a crime. People don't do that. You know, stores put stuff out front on the streets. People this don't steal it. This is the Tom Hartman Program. By and large, and when they do, we put them in jail. But the Republicans are trying to make this all about hysteria. It's insane.
Just a heads up that I'm doing two book events. You know, normally when I show up in a town, you know, to do a book signing, the way that you hear what I have to say is by showing up at the bookstore. Well, you know, these are different times. And, you know, it used to be if you didn't live in that town, you couldn't even get to the bookstore. We are doing virtual events, live virtual events, August 25th with Powell's here in Portland. David Corton, in fact, is going to be talking with me. And in Seattle, with Seattle Town Hall, again, a live virtual event. That'll be Friday, September 4th. So just a heads up on that. Ralph Nader wrote of this new book. It's called The Hidden History of Monopolies, How Big Business Destroyed the American Dream. He said, this is the most important dynamic book on the cancers of monopoly by giant corporations written in our generation. Oh, welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. And uh, let's see here. <clears throat> Mike in Lomita, California. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, you know the uh, similarity between a dumpster and a Trumpster. They both have to accept any garbage that their owner throws into them. And I found that out Saturday <laughs> when I was out demonstrating in front of the local post office. And it was a really great experience. I was out there for an hour uh, holding up a U.S. mail not for sale sign and on the back I'd uh, put in on the blank side repair the sabotage and the overwhelming response from people was positive and supportive I'd say in that hour maybe a couple of dozen affirmative uh, indications one sort or another and only two crazies from Trump coming up and behaving like uh, call-in radio trolls and oh I'm just interested in this and then you know you know where it goes from there so yeah trying uh, to engage you in conversation you mean trying to pretend that they just want a discussion or they're just curious but all the time they're just trying to get you into an argument and uh, end up yelling anyway the uh important point uh, i want to make though is that tomorrow all across the country there will be another set of demonstrations uh you can go to usmailnotforsale.org and right okay. up high on the website is uh, a Take Action tab, and you can plug in your local zip code and find out uh, where you can go to support the post office against the destruction of Mr. DeJoy. Uh-huh. Save the Postal Service. Join the Day of Action. Danny Glover recorded a PSA for this. It's a worker-led campaign. Oh, this is interesting. The postal workers are doing this. Hey, thanks for the heads up on this. No problem. And I really recommend anyone that can to do it. It's loads of fun. Yeah. U.S. Mail, notforsale.org is the website. Cool. Mike, thanks a lot for that. I'll mention that again in just a few minutes. Thanks so much for the call. Stephen in Los Angeles. Hey, Stephen, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. You asked how to break Trump's death cult, and cult is absolutely the right word. I've been studying uh, the life of L. Ron Hubbard, and I see actually a lot of comparisons between that and Trump. What makes these leaders so attractive is their certainty. No matter how ridiculous the premise, whether it's, you know, aliens or whatever, the leader of a cult is always completely certain. The way to break Trump is to compare him to himself, to say, well, you were against masks and you were for masks, now you're against them again. You said Mexico was going to pay for the wall. Then you took money from the military. You know, don't compare him to facts or figures. Just keep comparing him to himself and ways in which he's contradicting himself. And that will break people's confidence, their cultist members' confidence in him because they like the certainty of a leader. Mm-hmm. So what does I mean, this tell I, us, I, Stephen? Well, I, I think in some ways I think the Democrats are fighting the Republicans of 40 years ago. I don't think that they're fighting the Republicans the way they are today. I think they make that mistake. Like you say, like, you know, Democrats say we want to support public schools. And you and I think, oh, I'm going to get my kid into a great college. They think, oh, gay teachers are teaching my children to hate Jesus and to hate America. You know, so they don't want to support the public schools. So they're perfectly happy with sending kids back to public schools, even if there is a coronavirus. They don't see yeah, I don't think it has to do with teachers, Stephen. I think it, I think it has to do with ideology and curriculum. Daily rants and weekly op-eds at HartmanReport.com. It's free and there's no ads. HartmanReport.com.
Back Tom Harbin here with you and uh, Frank in Caldwell, Idaho. It says you disagree with me. You go to the front of the line, Frank. What's up? Well, I disagree with your portraying the virus as being all that bad. It's got one-tenth of one percent of the population that's killed. More people die in car crashes. More people die of the flu. Why are you hyping the virus? Frank, about 45,000 Americans die in car crashes every year. Last year, 3,700 died from the flu. You got 177,000 Americans dead from this virus. Where are you coming up with these BS numbers? Well, it ain't BS. It's one-tenth of one percent. Who's been lying to you? Who's been lying to you? Well, I'm, I'm using U.S. government statistics. You've got fewer than 4,000 people who died from the flu last year. You've got 45,000 people who died from car accidents in an entire year. And here in four months now, Donald Trump has killed 177,000 Americans by his inaction and in doing anything about this virus. While Canada is not having this problem, Europe is not having this problem. Done a great job. Taiwan is not having this problem. South Korea is not having this problem. None of them are infected with an idiot as president. He's not an idiot. He's done a great job. At what? At protecting America. At killing when Americans? He said, when, he, when he said the Chinese couldn't come to this country, you guys went all crazy. And he done that before. Frank, you let, me you. Let, me, let me ask you. Let me let me ask you. Frank, let me ask you a serious question. Again. Why don't you blame China? Frank, pause for a second. 177,000 people. Let's, let's just... For the heck of it, say it's only 150,000 dead Americans, okay? 150,000 dead Americans in four months. And let's say the average airplane contains 150 people. So that means in four months, we've had the equivalent of 1,000 airplanes falling out of the sky. Four months is 369, that's 120 days, roughly. And so if you've got 1,000 airplanes, that means that you've got roughly nine airplanes every single day flying out of the sky, fully loaded, and everybody dying. So if nine airplanes fell out of the sky every day and everybody died, Frank, would you get on an airplane tomorrow? I might. Probably would, considering there's millions of miles traveled. Okay. Frank, you are a, too stupid to talk to. I, I, am, I am just moving along. I'm sorry, Frank. It's like... Oh, my God. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. See, Jared, I don't think this death cult can be broken. I think that these people literally, I mean, Frank just said he'd be happy to die for Donald Trump. Well, I mean, most of them can't be reasoned with. Um, I would say a very significant portion of them, excluding the ones that went from Obama to Trump, I think some of them may have been scammed in, but generally Frank is, uh, I hate to say it, but a petty bourgeois, probably a lunatic. I've noticed... uh, Frank is not here to defend himself, Jared, so let's not characterize him outside of exactly what he said, which is that if nine airplanes fell out of the sky and everybody died on every single one of those planes every single day, he would still fly. Well, I mean, it's it's eugenics in 2020 without, you know, the word. I mean, it's it's basically like, you know, certain human life isn't worth, you know, saving at all. And that's pretty much yeah. what the, you know. Well, you know, I get the April 7th thing. And, and, and I think that, you know, sadly, nobody else in the media is pointing this out. But Donald Trump was all in favor of shutting the country down and making everybody safe until April 7th. April 7th was the day all of a sudden the Republican administration took a screeching right turn and said, oh, now we've got to open the country back up. And April 7th, by coincidence, was the day that the Washington Post, the New York Times, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC and Fox all announced on the same day, within hours of each other, that the majority of the people who were actually dying from COVID were black and Hispanic. And once that realization settled in with the GOP, I get that, and I get that that's the meme they're running off of, but still, I mean, it's still killing a lot of white people. Yeah, I, I don't really know what to say honestly about them. I mean, they think this guy is a good president. I mean, if you looked at any of the quote-unquote bad presidents in U.S. history, I mean, you can go through, like, John Adams. He was a horrible president, but he supported uh, the Haitian Revolution. Andrew Johnson, he was a horrible racist president, but he did support the Union in the um, Civil War. Wilson was a horrible president, complete racist but he did at least enact some progressive taxation legislation. 
I mean, Trump hasn't done anything good, period. I well, he's given he's given a trillion and a half dollars to his uh, to, to, you know, to anybody whose net worth is over about one hundred million dollars. I mean, you know, he's, he did that. He did that very effectively. And, uh, <laughs> but I, you know, the grift is just mind boggling. Jared, thank you for the call. What's it going to take for the Trump death cult to wake up? I'm starting to think, particularly after Frank's call, that it's going to take getting sick and dying. We'll be back. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. You know, the stories are legion of these people who thought, oh, you know, Trump says it's no big deal, it's no big deal. And then they end up in the ER. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, the two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to Fail Better, David Duchovny's new podcast with Lemonada Media. On Fail Better, David, who has experienced both low- and high-profile failures throughout his life, explores the vast world of failure, how it holds us back, propels us forward, and ultimately shapes our lives. Each week, he'll chat with guests like Ben Stiller, Bette Midler, and more about how our perceived failures have actually been our biggest catalysts for growth, revelation, and even healing. Through these conversations, he hopes listeners can learn how to embrace the opportunity of failure and fail better together. Fail Better is out now wherever you get your podcasts. (laughs) 
This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is The Cult of Trump. A leading cult expert explains how the president uses mind control by Stephen Hassan. This is from the introduction. Just beneath the surface of Trump's woe is me facade is a messianic streak. He may not come out and say he believes he is a messiah, but he has done nothing to dispel the notion, popular among some Christian followers, that God has chosen him to be their leader. Certainly, he makes no bones about the fact that he is the only one who can restore America to an imagined past glory and save us from a terrible future. One of Trump's earliest campaign moves was to establish the image of a great shining wall in the minds of his followers. The wall was a key piece of Trump propaganda to insulate, isolate, and elevate America from the rest of the dangerous world. The idea was actually suggested by political consultants Roger Stone and Sam Nunberg, who were looking for a mnemonic device that would keep Trump on message. Trump didn't love the idea at first, but he tried it out at a rally and the crowds went crazy. It turned out to be a stroke of marketing genius. Not only did it play on the us versus them trope, but it also allowed Trump to conjure images of murderers and rapists amassing at the southern border. It allowed him to instill fear in the hearts and minds of his followers, far beyond what is the norm at campaign rallies, and yet straight out of the cult leader playbook. The Muslim ban, which Trump tried to implement early in his presidency, was a variation on this theme, as many of the Christian right fear that Islam wants to rule the world and impose Sharia law on Americans. Trump uses all kinds of cult tactics, lying, projecting his weaknesses onto others, deflecting, distracting, presenting alternative facts and competing versions of reality to confuse, disorient, and ultimately coerce his followers. Repetition programs the belief into the unconscious, but fear-mongering tops the list. In my experience, phobia indoctrination, the creation of fearful thoughts to promote and reinforce a desired set of beliefs or behaviors in followers, is one of the most powerful and universal techniques in the cult leader's arsenal. This is why Trump spends so much time, so much air and Twitter time painting a frightening picture of the danger posed by immigrants, Mexicans, Muslims, the migrant caravan. The more vivid the thought or image installed in people's minds, the greater hold it has on us and the less susceptible we are to rational or critical thought. There are other enemies in Trump's world, globalists, radical left-wing Democrats, socialists, Hollywood actors, the liberal media, all of whom want to destroy America. Inspiring fear of real or imagined threats overrides people's sense of urgency. It makes them susceptible to a confident authority figure who promises to keep them safe and can make them more compliant and obedient. Fear defines Trump's philosophy, his personality, and his presidency. It is also his definition of power, according to Bob Woodward's aptly titled book, Fear. In it, Woodward reported that Trump told him, quote, real power is... I don't even want to use the word fear. Trump, like cult leaders and dictators throughout history, seizes upon people's needs and fears and amplifies them. Like these authoritarian leaders, he may manufacture problems that do not exist and then say, trust me or believe me, and promise that only he can fix it. Given the right circumstances, sane, rational, well-adjusted people can be made to consider and ultimately believe the most outrageous leaders and propositions. There is a method to their madness. Cult leaders may look and behave differently, but even the craziest, most chaotic ones follow a similar pattern. While they usually have no academic training, they are masters of human psychology, especially social psychology. They understand that human beings are social creatures who, at some level, are wired to follow leaders and powerful members of their group. They know that they can confuse people with false information and lies, and then sow doubt by claiming that they never said what they said in the first place. People like to think they're rational and in control, but the lessons of history and social psychology demonstrate time and again that simply ain't so. We go about our ways and our lives using unconscious mental models. When cult leaders manipulate these models in subtle and overt ways, we can be persuaded to believe and do things we might never have considered without such systemic psychological influence. Ultimately, their goal is to make people dependent and obedient. Before the 24-7 world of smartphones and the internet, cult leaders would physically isolate members in order to control all aspects of their lives, their behavior, information, thoughts, and emotions, or what we call the BITE model of indoctrination, B-I-T-E. But physical isolation is not always necessary for indoctrination to occur. Through the media and the internet, people can be indoctrinated and even recruited on their smartphones or in their own homes. Some cult leaders, including pimps and human traffickers, use smartphones and digital technology to monitor and control their followers. 
Taken to an extreme, the indoctrination process can break down a person's fundamental identity to such an extent that they could be said to have a new pseudo-identity cast in the image of the group's leader or ideology. In her documentary, The Brainwashing of My Dad, Jan Senko shows how her once loving and liberal father, Frank, came to espouse hate-filled racist views after listening to Rush Limbaugh and other right-wing talk radio hosts for many hours a day while commuting to work. He was essentially radicalized by these shows and also by Fox News television. I have met and heard about followers of Trump who have undergone radical personality changes, adopting viewpoints that would have been abhorrent to their former selves. Perhaps most confounding is how so many devout Christians have come to believe that a man who cheated on his pregnant wife was handpicked by God. The book, The Cult of Trump. Julia Ainsley and Jacob Soboroff reporting for NBC News that as many as 25,000 children have been, to use the words of the United Nations, tortured children. This is particularly bizarre given that the whole QAnon conspiracy theory is that there's, there's a bunch of Democrats out there who are, you know, uh, eat, drinking the blood of children, uh, you know, and, and in, in Comet Pizza in Washington, D.C. and stuff like that. The Trump administration intentionally separated as many as 25,000 children from their parents. And it turns out, or, or they wanted to, excuse me, they wanted to separate 25,000. They did separate 5,500. Let me just correct my numbers here. And the spread between those two numbers came down to a vote, basically. And St- Stephen Miller in the White House in a cabinet meeting. He's not a member of the cabinet. He's just, you know, Donald Trump's racist uh, speechwriter. But Stephen Miller demanded that the cabinet members vote on whether to separate children from their parents, to steal children from their parents. Uh, well over a thousand of these children are lost, presumably sold into child trafficking. Over a thousand children completely lost. All of these children, these, these 5,500 children, are going to suffer for the rest of their lives from the scars of being torn away from their parents. Thousands of them who aren't lost are still in the system. And Stephen Miller wanted it to be 25,000 or more. And Kristen Nielsen said, you know, she didn't say, oh, this is immoral. She didn't say, I don't want to be part of destroying these children's lives and their parents. She didn't say, she didn't express any moral concern or any humanitarian concern whatsoever. What she said was, we don't have the logistics to do this. We don't have enough officers to do this. And sure enough, she was right. And that's why there's all these children lost and missing who may have been sold into into human trafficking by this administration. This is absolutely mind-boggling. Eleven of the top officials raised their hands and said, yes, tear them apart, including John Kelly, Mike Pompeo, and Mike Pence's, uh, Mike Pence's representative, Mark Short, in that meeting. Miles Kelly, uh, Miles Taylor, excuse me, the former chief of staff from, for Kristen Nielsen, he's the one who essentially blew the whistle on this. This is just so wrong. You're listening to Tom Hartman. So we've got a video up over at TomHartman.com. There's a really troubling concatenation of events that are happening in the United States right now. We created these concentration camps for refugees seeking asylum. This was Stephen Miller's big project. And we've got concentration camps for children, concentration camps for male adults, concentration camps for female adults. And now we've got this virus sweeping through the United States and people are starting to die in these concentration camps, which has provoked ICE to, uh, or whoever's running them, to deport hundreds of the children back to the countries that they came from without their parents, which is mind-boggling, and in many cases carrying disease. This is serious stuff and we need to be talking about it. The video's over at TomHartman.com. Keith in Newcastle, Wyoming. Hey, Keith, thanks for listening on SiriusXM. What's up? 
Hey, Tom, good to talk to you. Hey, I wanted to find out, you earlier mentioned about the separated children down the border, and I was wondering, uh, do we know how many have been adopted or are in foster care in this country? Do we know that this, number? This is one of the big problems, Keith, is that the, uh, is, uh, the Department of Homeland Security and ICE and all the agencies associated with this have been unwilling to provide that kind of information. We just don't know. Uh, they're, they're, mm-hmm. The article that I was quoting from earlier, somebody uh, tweeted me, hey, can you provide me with the documentation? It's in the Washington Post. It was in the Washington Post this morning. Um, you know, it might be left over from yesterday. Um, but uh, there's also a great piece about this over at dailycoast.com by Gabe Ortiz, who's doing some great reporting. But the one in the Washington Post uh, was, uh, as I recall, or maybe it was the New York Times, I'd have to go back and look, but one or the other, um, was by uh, Jacob Soberoff, and it's just solid, solid reporting. So, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, this, this, is, this, is a, this is a crime, Keith. This is a crime. This, oh, is, this is. is like, you know, we, we, you know, we never acknowledged that we tortured people under George W. Bush illegally in violation of the Geneva Convention and our own laws, and we never apologized. And and so that moral stain is still on our country. And now we've never acknowledged that we have torn, you know, uh, 5,500 children away from their families, wounding them for life and wounding their parents for life. Can you imagine if your child had been taken away from you by the police and and and, you know, put in a foster home or sold to some family someplace that you don't even know who they are, or where they are. And you have no idea where your child is and never will. I mean, it's just breathtaking. Uh, Keith, i got to move along, but thank you for the call. Bob in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Hey, Bob, what's up? Yes, Tom, what's the likelihood that that swing state legislature deciding uh, a Trump victory uh, would, would happen, uh, Tom, based on just the current goings on with the, you know, with the election coming up? If everybody's vote, everybody who is, you know, legally entitled to vote, if all of their votes are actually counted, then I think there's pretty much no chance. But the problem is that Donald Trump and the Republican Party, I mean, now he's talking, yesterday he was talking on Fox News about sending federal troops to polling places. So the, you know, the guys in in camo are going to show up at the polling place and they're going to be inspecting my ID before I get in and they're going to be challenging me and they're going to be threatening me. Guys with guns? Really? I mean, this is what Trump was bragging about on Hannity's show, that he, this is what he's going to do. And the GOP, from the early 1980s until last year, or maybe the year before, 2018, I believe it was, was under a consent decree, under a, under a court order requiring them not to intimidate people at the voting, at the polling places. That consent agree or whatever it was called, that court order has expired And so they have already recruited 50,000 goons who are going to, quote, do, you know, election monitoring, in quotes. And this is going to be really, really ugly. Richard in Naples, Florida. Hey, Richard, what's on your mind today? There's been some discussion here about treason with Trump. There's been much discussion about, especially lately, about the likelihood, even Biden said that he would not object to the Justice Department bringing criminal charges against the current administration, which obviously would include Trump. There's easily, I think, a case to be made that Trump is guilty of treason. My thought is that uh, that can be a useful thing in the sense that we don't know what Trump's going to do after the election, and it's scary enough. And my thought is that we should introduce this idea either now or after the election that we offer Trump the opportunity to raise a defense of insanity and just give him that opportunity. Not saying that we accept that he's insane, but we agree that he should have that opportunity (laughs) to raise that as a defense. Yeah. Well, you know, everybody in America has that opportunity, and uh, including Donald Trump, if in criminal cases. I don't know that anybody has filed any specific criminal cases against him outside of the women who are charging him with rape. And frankly, I don't think any of those are criminal cases. I'm pretty sure they're all civil cases. They're all lawsuits. You know, Biden specifically said, uh, Tom, Biden specifically said that he would not oppose his Justice Department bringing those criminal charges. Well, no, he didn't say criminal charges. He said investigating. Well, you know, maybe well, you're right, actually. I should go- 
that obviously yeah, includes criminal charges. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, one would think so. We'll see. You know, there's a, a lot of time now to go here in which these kinds of things can be done. And of course, it'll be after the first of the year. Dave in New London, New Hampshire. Hey, Dave, what's up? Three reasons Trump will not leave the country. One, his narcissism will not allow him to leave his adoring fans, i.e. Bedminster, Mar-a-Lago. Two, he will love living off the government in the form of his presidential pension and his medical care. And three, he's just going to fight these things in court. And that's what he's always yeah. done, and that's how he'll handle it. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, I think, I think he'll fight them until he dies of old age, and he may succeed. Although he, he lost in federal court, a judge said that he, you know, Trump is challenging whether the uh, district attorney or the state AG, no, I, I believe it was the attorney general, uh, Letitia James, could have access to his tax records. And, you know, he's, con- he's continuing to try to hide his taxes from the American people, which should cause us all to go, huh? But this judge said, sorry, you have not met the bar for that. So no pun intended. Randy in Portland. Hey, Randy, what's on your mind? Will there be dancing after the dark times? And mm. uh, the answer is yes, there will be dancing about the dark times. And uh, Meaning? That, that we're passing through this dark time ourselves and there will be there'll be light at the end of the tunnel and they'll be dancing to celebrate when we get there from your lips to god's ears randy i sure hope you're right i'm actually quite optimistic it looks like this is going to be a blowout election and donald trump by bragging his irrepressibility is bragging about how he's going to sabotage the post office in his phone call with fox news i think he shot himself in the foot or more specifically, he shot Louis DeJoy in the foot. <laughs> so we'll see how this plays out. But uh, I don't think it's going to work out well for Donald Trump. On the other hand, they've already dismantled a bunch of these machines in largely Democratic cities. Those were all the targets were places where Hillary Clinton won and swing states. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with BiteClear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. BiteClear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give. But what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are, too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. 
I love my Skims Wireless Form Bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. You're listening to Tom Hartman. The hidden history of the war on voting tells how the GOP has been stealing elections for decades and will again this year, unless we stop them. We're putting together a series of American history books. It started with the hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment. Then we had the hidden history of the Supreme Court, the betrayal of America. Then the hidden history of the Republican war on voting. The hidden history of monopolies, how big business destroyed the American dream. And then next spring, it's going to be the hidden history of oligarchy and tyranny. Jill in West Collingwood Heights, New Jersey. Hey, Jill, what's on your mind today? It's often said of Trump that he's incapable of empathy. But I recently came across a word which seems to describe him more accurately that I want to get out in the general vocabulary, and it's schadenfreude. Oh, yeah. Um, it yeah. takes his, A person his who derives life. pleasure from the misery of others. Yes, joy in others' pain, power to cause others' pain, authority, etc. And it just seems to take that lack of empathy much deeper and describe him better. Yeah. Schadenfreude is, it's a German word. There's not a literal English equivalent, but... Yes, I speak German. I I, I lived there for a while. Yeah, I lived there for a year, and I speak German also. And and I've always heard it used in kind of a soft context. But I think Trump takes it beyond that. And, And I don't think that there's even a word for this. I think he doesn't just get some small pleasure from the suffering of others. I think he delights in it. I think it's what animates him. I think it's the driving force of his life is creating misery among other people, those people that he has identified as those who don't love him enough or those who are not loyal enough to him or whatever it may be. And maybe there's a German word for that, Jill? I don't know. (laughs) But I just think that, I don't know, it just explains how he can separate families, cage children, even sharper spikes in the in the wall or his childish yeah. name calling even it's just yeah um, I, I i'm with you I, w- I would say a lot of that just falls into the into the large umbrella or basket rather of psychopathy but i'm with you jill thank you thanks for bringing a word to us on this week's science revolution ethan manuel with sierra club's land protection program is here on trump green lighting drilling in the arctic national wildlife refuge will the oil companies show up adrian shelley with public citizen is dropping by on the methane rule rollback and the trump administration's continued assault on our climate laurie lotus with climate power 2020 is excited about biden and harris painting a bold climate action plan with clean energy jobs plus in geeky science there's a new study out do plant-based meats improve your heart tune into the science revolution wherever fine podcasts are available on the line with us, Jacob Soboroff, the correspondent with NBC and MSNBC News and author of the new book, Separated, Inside an American Tragedy. If you want to know what's really going on at our border, what's really going on with this administration's policies, how they came about, how they're being executed, you need to get this book separated. It's brilliant. JacobSoboroff.com is his website and also his Twitter handle. Jacob, welcome back to the program. I understand that Trump cabinet officials actually, Stephen Miller, who is not a member of the cabinet, forced the cabinet officials basically to say, yes, tear families apart. Hey, Tom, it's good to be back with you. Yeah, this is from some new exclusive reporting. Julia Ainsley, my colleague, and I dropped at the end of last week, and you got it exactly correct. In a 2018 meeting in the White House Situation Room, Trump cabinet officials, and I'm talking about people that we have not heretofore associated with the family separation policy, people like Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, John Bolton, who at the time was in the administration, of course, Don McGahn, who was the White House counsel at the time, Mark Short, who's today the 
chief of staff to the vice president. All of these guys, including Alex Azar and, of course, Secretary Nielsen, AG Sessions, they were invited to participate in this immigration session uh, that was basically led by Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller was extraordinarily frustrated that they weren't moving forward quickly enough with separating families, something that he wanted to do, obviously, and ultimately, you know, traumatized for life over 5,400 children, accused those in the room who didn't want to move forward with the policy of being un-American, asked for a show of hands vote. Uh, Kirsten Nielsen kept her hands down, basically insisting that they weren't ready to do it yet, even though she ultimately signed the policy into place. And the rest was history, Tom. They all raised their hands in a sea of hands, according to two sources we spoke to that were in the room. Uh, and they move forward with this policy that uh, that was a humanitarian catastrophe, as we all know. Jacob, tell us about how these children react reacted to being torn away from their parents. What did you personally see? Well, you know, as we talked about when I spoke to you last, I'll never forget it for the rest of of, of my life. The the one of the key players involved in the reunifications. Uh, when I spoke to him for my book, told me it was the greatest humanitarian catastrophe of his lifetime when it came to domestic U.S. affairs. The American Academy of of Pediatrics calls this government-sanctioned child abuse, what the kids went through. Physicians for Human Rights calls it torture, what the U.S. government did to the children. Uh, And to this day, when I talk to Juan and Jose, the son uh, and father who I wrote about in my book, they, they say to me they had psychological trauma, and they asked me if I ever ran into President Trump to ask Trump why he did this to them. And that's why the U.S. government now is on the hook for paying for the mental health services for all the families that were taken away from each other as a, as a direct result of, the, of this policy. It will damage these children for the rest of their lives. You, you put this in the past ten, tense, Jacob, but I understand that uh, thousands of children are still separated from their pam- families and that I, you know, I read a piece last week. In fact, I read it on the air. I don't, uh, you know, I, I trust your, your reporting, um, uh, perhaps a little more than this source. Uh, it suggested that there were over a thousand children that we still just have no idea what happened to them because the Trump administration did their policies so quickly that, uh, that w- the kids were lost track of. And they may well have been, you know, God only knows, sold into slavery. We just don't know. It, what, what kind of numbers are there and what's the, what's the current status of these kids? Well, the 1,000 number that you're referring to, I believe, is the 1,000 children that were separated before the zero-tolerance policy was officially uh, started. And, and to, be, to, be, to be really clear, you know, there were children on a limited basis that were separated during the Obama administration as well, never on a scale uh, of what the Trump administration effectuated. In fact, you know, they had pushed for this during the Obama administration and didn't get to this point. But the kids that were separated before zero-tolerance were effectively lost in a system of information technology of the federal government that didn't speak um, to, uh, to in between different agencies, HHS, ICE, uh, Border Patrol, uh, CDP. Their back end didn't talk to each other. So when the children were taken away from the parents, um, they weren't connected to each other in any government system. So to this day, that group of over 1,000 separated before zero tolerance, the government is trying by court order with the ACLU, with NGOs to track them down on the ground in Central America to figure out if indeed they were separated, if indeed they were ever reunited, and ultimately what happened to them. And the, the reality is we just can't say. Because of coronavirus, some of those efforts have slowed down, the door-to-door, door-knocking, or phone calls um, to find the, the, the unreachable, as Vice uh, put, it, put it in a great report about this. Um, and so we just don't know. We just don't know. And so the trauma is compounded every day. As you said, it's not a past tense situation. It's a present tense situation that continues to to unfold. And that, by the way, Tom, that's why what, you know, you have to remain vigilant about this. Even though I wanted to separate tens of thousands of more children than were ultimately separated, in 2018 alone, it would have been 100,000 more kids if his version of the plan uh, ultimately went through. And I know from my reporting in the book that Donald Trump wanted to reinstate this policy on multiple occasions. He brought it up with Kirsten Nielsen, and there's a specific story uh, in the epilogue of the book. Yeah, we're talking with Jacob Sob- Soberoff. His book, Separated, Inside an American Tragedy, about this this uh, the, the, this uh, war crime is the wrong word, but, uh, you know, a 
prosecutable, in my opinion. I mean, this is just extraordinary. Just for the record, Jacob, you mentioned that children had been separated from their families under the Obama administration. My understanding is 100% of the time that was done because they believed that the adult that the child was with was either A, not actually that child's parent, that these children were being trafficked, or B, was an abusive parent. Do I have that right? I think for the most part, that is that is true. But what I'll say is, under the law, uh, children arrived with people who were not their uh, biological parent or legal guardian were separated from aunts and uncles and uh, other relatives. Not not always, not across the board, um, but, but it definitely happened. And the NGOs that are fighting today against the Trump administration fought against the Obama administration about that. And it goes without saying that the Obama administration does not have a lot of things in immigration rights, immigration activism community. And that's because the Obama administration, um, just like the Bush administration before that, and just like the Clinton administration before that, practiced aggressive deterrence-based immigration policies, including deporting more people than any other administration ever, which, of course, was a different type um, of family separation. That does not mean that what the Trump administration did isn't far and away uh, much worse much more of a humanitarian catastrophe, um, much more of, you know, some people say a crime against humanity, what they did to all of these children. Um, but the Trump administration wouldn't have been able to do what they ultimately did if it wasn't for decades of failed border policies of both Democrats and Republicans. And, mm. and I think that that's something that we all need to understand if we're going to move forward, whether it's in a Biden administration or a Trump administration. Yeah, it's an important lesson. We have just a minute to a hard break, Jacob. Uh, back in early on on this, I mean, your reporting really broke a lot of this wide open. And I, I remember reading a news story suggesting that a, uh, a chain of, of children's homes or foster care facilities associated with Betsy DeVos had been uh, uh, fast-tracked to get a lot of these kids. Do you know anything about that? I don't. I mean, I, you know, I've heard a lot about that as well, and I did see a lot of that that type of stuff going around um, online. For what I know, from what I saw, um, these children went into the custody of Health and Human Services, um, thousands of them, uh, and sent the system into a crisis, uh, overflowing with children. Um, but, you know, I, I think that uh, it wasn't something that, that, that frankly, crossed my radar in a way that we felt um, met the standards of NBC News. And uh, and, and that's just the truth. Right. Okay. Well, that's, you know, that's good to know or not know or whatever it may be. Uh, Jacob, thanks so much for dropping by today. Uh, really great talking with you. Always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. Thanks. Thank you. Jacob Soberoff, correspondent with NBC News, MSNBC, author of a new book, his, which is an extraordinary, absolutely extraordinary book, Separated, Inside an American Tragedy. Uh, it's just out recently. It's uh, really well worth reading. JacobSoberoff.com is the website. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. The Hartman Report is a free daily podcast, seven days a week, and you can find our entire three-hour podcast over at TomHartman.com. Tom Hartman here with you. Kevin in Durham, North Carolina. Hey, Kevin, what's up? Hey, uh, Tom, I want to talk to you about the, uh, the survey they did with the 57% of Republicans who said that they don't mind that 170,000 people have died. And uh, mm-hmm. I think there are two parts to it. I mean, these are the same people that don't want universal health care. They don't care about gun reform, even though kids get shot up in school. Uh, they don't care about police brutality. So it's no surprise they don't care about this. And number two, I think it's just part of what you've been saying is that it's disproportionately affecting old people and people of color. So as long as it's not able-bodied white Americans who are being uh, disproportionately affected, and to them it's out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, yeah, I think so. so although there is a not inconsequential uh, fraction of that 177,000 people who are able-bodied white Americans, including, I mean, the most recent was a six-year-old girl who was in perfect health and was a, you know, a white kid. I mean, you know, it's not like you're immune because your skin has less melanin in it. It's, it's just, it's, well, I, like it, there, I said, no... I mean, that... go ahead. And like I said, I mean, kids are getting shot up in school. We've seen that over and over again. Mm. They don't care about that, so they don't care about sending kids back to school with this this dangerous virus. And the thing that kills them about uh, people comparing this to car crashes, I mean, car crashes aren't contagious. And when you get into a car, you have to put on a seat belt, you have to have a valid driver's license and proof of insurance. 
and got to follow right. traffic laws. And these are the same people yeah. that don't want to wear masks and social distance to protect themselves from this virus, which is more dangerous than the right. flu. Yeah, they're the same people who back in the 70s oh. were saying that you know, being forced to wear a seatbelt was, was uh, compromising our freedoms as Americans. I, I remember that very, very well. Kevin, thank you for the call. So a uh, 46-year-old Florida couple, Brian and uh, Aaron Hitchens, uh, have a a message for Frank, my caller, who said that the uh, coronavirus was a hoax, that more people died from car accidents than the flu, which, by the way, is not true. We got 177,000 people dead of coronavirus, around 40,000, 45,000 die from car accidents every year. Around 3,600 died from the flu last year. They can be documented, maybe as many as 4,000. That's not 177,000. But in any case, Brian Hitchens and Aaron Hitchens, uh, Frank, you might want to know about. Brian and Aaron are 46-year-old Florida residents. Brian said... And I quote, we thought the government was using the coronavirus to distract us or it had something to do with 5G. He blew it off. He wouldn't wear a mask. He wouldn't social distance because, hey, why bother? This thing's not a real threat. And then he and his wife both got it. These are white people, Frank. They're not sick. They don't have pre-existing conditions. These are white people, Frank. And... Brian got out of the hospital after a week. His wife stayed there for a few months, and she just passed away. 46-year-old white woman, Erin Hitchens, just died after spending two months on a ventilator in a hospital. Brian, by the way, if his wife died after a couple of months on a ventilator, is going to have a million-dollar hospital bill that he's going to have to come up with and pay as well. Uh, This is going to be a mess for this guy, all because he believed Donald Trump. He took to Facebook and said, quote, this thing is nothing to be messed with. Please listen to the authorities and heed the advice of the experts. Looking back, I should have worn a mask in the beginning, but I didn't. And I'm paying the price for it now. But I know that if it was me that gave it to my wife, I know that she forgives me and I know that God forgives me. You know, if I'm, well, I would forgive you, I suppose, if I was God, Brian, but I wouldn't be forgiving the guys who lied to you. Those weasels over on Fox News, those guys on right-wing hate radio who have been telling you, oh, it's just, you know, Rush Limbaugh, it's just a cold, you know. Uh, Sean Hannity, it's not going to be so bad. Right. And Brian's wife is dead now. And Brian himself may have dementia for the rest of his life, he may, he's got an elevated risk of heart attacks and strokes. 80% of people who recover from this have long-lasting heart damage. We don't know how long-lasting because the disease is only six months old. The Southern Poverty Law Center has responded to the Republican National Committee. They don't have a platform this year, but they do have a resolution, and that is, we like hate groups. Well, specifically, we hate groups who call out hate groups. And the Southern Poverty Law Center says, this Republican National Committee's resolution is an attack on the SPLC's definition of hate groups in order to excuse the Trump administration's history of working with individuals and organizations that malign entire groups of people with dehumanizing rhetoric. The Republican Party... The Republican Party basically voted to trash the Democratic or the uh, Southern Poverty Law Center, but did not say a word condemning anti-Semitism, Islamophobia, neo-Nazis, uh, anti-gay sentiment, or racism. That's all just fine with them. And finally, and then I, I will pick up your phone calls here. Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. This is not new. Somebody posted it over at DU. This goes back to I don't know a month or so ago. The first time I saw AOC talking about this. But the question was, what does America with defunded police look like to you? And this is what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez said. What does America look like with defunded police departments? She said, the good news is it doesn't actually take a ton of imagination. It looks like a suburb. Affluent white communities already live in a world where they choose to fund youth, health, housing, etc., more than they fund police. These communities have lower crime rates, not because they have more police, but because they have more resources to support healthy society in a way that reduces crime. 
And she goes on from there. Pretty straightforward stuff. Yeah, defund the police? Well, you know, just look at what's happened all over, all over the country. Kim in Sarasota, Florida. Hey, Kim, what's up? Hey, I vote by mail. I'm in Sarasota County, population about 325,000. I voted in the last primary, and I don't trust our really red county. So I always call to verify that my mail-in was counted and my signature was cool. This year I realized I added my middle name instead of just my initials, so I called and I asked the supervisor of elections if my vote counted, and she says there's not a problem with that. Yes, it did, because they use FBI scanning software. Huh. So and I was scan- just wow. curious just, just if other counties do the same. I don't know the answer to that question, Kim, but it's a good one. I'll, I'll keep it in mind as we go forward and have guests like Greg Palestine about voting. Kim, thanks. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Fascinating. And thank you for being with us today. Apparently, the reviews are starting to come in about the Republican convention. It's looking pretty dark and pretty grim. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be an interesting night tonight. We'll talk about it tomorrow. Get out there, get active, tag. You're it. Have a great afternoon. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 